This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Last week, we kicked off this series called New Year, New You. And I made this kind of bold assertion last, uh, last week where I said, 2019 will be your best year ever. I can't, I'm not one who can tell the future. I'm not one who's going to predict the future for you. Maybe you can't really predict the future for yourself either. But I feel fairly, I feel confidence in saying this. That 2019 will be the best year of your life if, and here's a conditional statement, if it's your best year spiritually. And the whole idea behind that is that this year, let's make 2019 a year in which we focus on our spiritual well-being. Where we have a determination, a, 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 a single focus on God. I want to grow spiritually in 2019. I want it to be, maybe you had significant growth in 2018. But I want 2019 to be even better yet. And if that is true, then 2019 can be your best year so far. That's really the statement we made last week. We started by talking about last week about <clears throat> the thing that you love. Because oftentimes our loves get divided, right? Like, I love God. And maybe, and I love the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> maybe sometimes I love the Dallas Cowboys more than I love God. I don't know. Or maybe you love the Hawkeyes more than you love God. And sometimes our loyalties, our love gets divided. And, and really what we talked about last week is bringing into alignment our love, our first love. That whatever, whether we're, you know, at work or play or in hobbies or relationships, that we need, we bring that into alignment. We filter everything that we do through our love for God. So at the end of the day, we can basically say, God, you're first in my life. You're first in my life. You're first over my career. You're first over my relationships. You're first over my hobbies. You're first over, you're first over every area of my life. It doesn't mean those things don't exist in your life. They do exist in your life. But you filter them all through your first love relationship, which is a relationship towards God. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about how life-giving community in 2019 is basically essential for you to spiritually grow. Every single one of us need life-giving. We need, we need to be in relationship with one another. Our theme this year is to grow small. And really, our goal, our heart's goal is that every single person says, Life Church is my home church. Every single one of us would be in some type of life-giving community on a weekly basis. Not just here at church on a Sunday morning, but during the week with other people where we're growing spiritually, challenging others, iron, iron sharpening iron. That's really what we, what we hope for. And so you're going to hear us talking throughout the year about growing small. Growing small. How are you growing small? How are you in a community group? How are you in a life group? How are you doing life with other people? That's going to be very important. That's going to be a conversation we'll be having throughout the year. When I was a kid, I used to watch, how many of you watched as, as kids watched Lone Ranger? I mean, you have to probably be over 40, maybe, to have watched the Lone Ranger when you were a kid. But um, I, I watched the Lone Ranger. Um, in fact, uh, <clears throat> the, um, the guy, the character that played the Lone Ranger when I was a kid was a guy named Clayton Moore. There he is. Isn't that, isn't that a, just a cool picture? Yeah, okay, again, you have to be from a certain age demographic to say that's a cool picture. But that was a cool picture back then. 
You know, that's that's who I watched. Now, let me let me little disclaimer here. I I watched the Lone Ranger when I was in the country of Panama, so it was dubbed into Spanish, which was kind of weird for me as a native Spanish speaker because um, Clayton Moore, who who was the Lone Ranger. It was translated into Spanish, dubbed into Spanish, and his accent was like this perfect Spaniard accent. Clearly a white guy, you know, an American white guy, but his accent was this clearly perfect Spanish, uh, you know, Spaniard Spanish, right? Tonto, on the other hand, who looked Hispanic, had this broken, he sounded like, a, like an American trying to speak Spanish. Yo said. Yo said jefe de carapalida. That's how he would talk, you know. It was, kind of, it was just kind of, it was just really weird, you know, to watch it from a, you know, anyways, that has nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> we would watch the Lone Rangers as a kid, and my brothers and I, you know, I have, I'm the oldest of four bro- five brothers, and so uh, my brothers and I, we would, we would like make these masks, you know, we put on these masks, and I always, I always had the coolest mask, because I, you know, I had, I enlisted their help to help me make my mask, and and then whatever they did, whatever, you know. So I'd have this mask on, you know, we put our six shooters on, you know, we go out into the, into the park and we were like fighting bad guys, you know, that's what we did growing up because the Lone Ranger, he was like this superhero. He was this guy that, that everybody loved and, you know, when you were as a kid out there playing the Lone Ranger kind of thing, you know, of course, I made my brothers be the, you know, the, the bad guys, you know, and so we were always shooting the bad guys. But anyways, it was, it was fun. He was a hero to us. In fact, there's all these romantic ideas about the Lone Ranger that he was this guy who, who had this courage that in the face of overwhelming odds, he would still be able to, to fight the bad guy. He had amazing skill with a six-shooter, right? Flip it around and do all that kind of stuff. Compassion for hurting and the oppressed. I mean, the Lone Ranger was a superhero way before DC or Marvel could put a superhero on the, on the screen, that was the Lone Ranger. And yet, when you use that language, Lone Ranger, today, it's not necessarily a positive trait, is it? I mean, there's some of us that, you know, you can ask my wife, there's, I can be very independent thinking sometimes, and I can be very, you know, I don't need anybody's help, and so I'll just go after it, you know, and I'll do, and sometimes I don't actually, you know, like, how many times have I started a a mechanic project on my vehicle only to spend way too much time, way more, more much, way, way much more money than, than I would have spent if I just took it to the mechanic. And that's just part of this whole Lone Ranger mentality. It's not really a positive trait anymore to say he's a Lone Ranger, she's a Lone Ranger. There's this song by this group called Paramore called Ain't It Fun. <clears throat> There's this music video that that if you watch the music videos, it's kind of playful video where they're dancing through the field or these playful car ride going on. And here's the chorus of the song. Ain't it fun living in the real world, which already you could tell these guys are young. They have no idea what they're talking about, right? Because most of you like, most of us like, no, it's not fun living in the real world, world, right? But then ain't it good being all alone? Obviously, there's sarcasm going on here because nobody would say, yeah, that's so much fun to be all alone. It's so much fun to have to be, have the weight of, of bills and responsibility. And yet, this is kind of where that song is going. And I think about this song, though, and the, the chorus of this song, and I think, you know, there's, there's truth to it, though. Not that it's fun, 
I don't know how many friends on Facebook you have. I don't know if you work for a company that has these now, these new kind of open concept type of offices so that you can have greater dialogue with your colleagues at work and all that kind of, I don't know if that's your situation. We're more digitally connected than we've ever been in life, and yet the vast majority of us would say, but I feel alone. I feel alone, and it's not fun. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about what does it mean to do life with others? I, I'm going to say something right now because I realize that for some of you sitting here right now, you're like, I, that's the last thing you want. Your life is nice and neat. You really don't want to, to start getting messy with other people. And yet that's exactly what we are invited to by, by Christ and the Gospels is to start doing life with other people. We've been designed for relationship with one another in fact, there's probably somebody right now, wherever you're at, <clears throat> there's probably somebody right now in this room, or maybe in another service, or maybe, you know, maybe at home that you know that God has, has placed them in your life, has placed them in your life so that you could grow spiritually, so you could become all that God wants for you. And it demands a relationship with that person. And so that's really going to be the invitation this year is to grow small. Start doing life with other people. You've heard me in the past talk about the gap, right? The gap of, this is what I want to be. This is who I want to be known as. But over here is who I really am. And between who I really am and who I want to be known as, there's this gap that exists. Now, for some of you, the gap is very small, and it doesn't, you know, there's not a whole lot of inconsistency between who you want to be known as and who you really are. You would say, yeah, there's some. But for others of you, the gap is this huge chasm. And basically, you've resorted to, to managing appearances, image management, Right? We just kind of like try to figure out how, this is who I want to be, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear the Lone Ranger mask. I'm going to wear the mask to pretend that's who I want to be, but really, this is the reality. This is where I am. This is who I am. And God's calling us out of that. God's inviting us into a different kind of life. The truth is, I think fundamentally, every single one of us want to live authentic lives. There's not a single one of us who want to wear a mask all, all of our lives to pretend all of our lives. We want to live authentically, and yet it's a struggle. It's a challenge. In fact, it's kind of scary to take those masks off. Some of you actually right now are wearing a mask. This week, you, you probably had one of those knock-down, drag-out kind of fights with your spouse, your wife or your husband. And man, it was, it was violent. And words were said... Maybe the D word got thrown out a few times, who knows. The kids watched and they're rattled. And you'd probably say, yeah, it was, I don't like that person. That person doesn't like me. But then you showed up in church here this morning. You pulled into the parking lot and you all basically sat there and you handed masks to each other and said, okay, let's put a mask on because... We want to be known as a happy family. 
we want to be known as a happy couple. So let's manage, the, let's manage our image for the next hour or so. Let's wear these masks. Now, I'm not suggesting that... <laughs> I'm not suggesting that don't wear the mask and basically bust through life church's doors cussing each other out either. Don't, don't do that, you know. <laughs> but, but we tend to wear masks, don't we? For some of you, it's more serious than that. Maybe, maybe there's an addiction. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's pornography. And you don't, you really don't want to be known as that. So you really... You manage, you manage appearances. You pretend like everything is fine. There's no addiction whatsoever. Believe me, I understand. I fully understand this gap thing. As a pastor, I, am, I feel the pressure of, of wearing a mask. Because after all, I'm the, pa- I'm the guy up here telling you how to live your life. Certainly he has to have his, his life put together completely, Right? And it's easy to start managing appearances, start living in two different worlds, and really what God wants to bring is he wants to bring that into one, start living authentically with one another. So listen, the solution is not hiding or choosing to wear a mask or living that Lone Ranger lifestyle. That's not the solution. The solution is learning to live in community with other people. That's the solution. That's how you can truly be known that's how you can walk out and be comfortable in your own skin and, and, and live a life where people see and, and, you're, and you're just being authentic. You're being real. There's no pretense. There's nothing you're hiding. You're not managing an image. You're, not do, you're just being who you are. And people recognize it and appreciate it. Start living in community with others. This is really core to how we've been created. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you find the story of creation where God uh, basically makes everything, creates everything. In Genesis 1, you know, he creates the, the, you know, the, the air and the, and the light and water and land and vegetation and, and basically all the plants. He creates the, the, the creatures of the sea and the creatures on land. He puts it all together. And after he creates it all, he steps back and he looks at it and he says, wow, he's like impressed with himself. This is good. That's what he says. It's good. And then in verse 31, it says that he creates man humans in his own image and he steps back again he doesn't say this is good this time he looks at it and he says this is very good he's like so impressed with himself i mean i'm saying i'm using that language you get what i'm saying that he takes a day off a day of rest but then the rest is kind of short-lived because in genesis chapter 2 you find that something is not good Now, I want you to keep in mind that this, that is not good, is before the fall. We all know that the world has been infected by sin, that there's a sin nature that permeates this world, not just us humans, but it permeates every aspect of this world, and it affects us all, and we're bound to that, and the only way to be set free from that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But before sin comes into the world, God says it's not good. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. 
It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In other words, by God's design, how God has created you and me is to not be lone rangers, to not live life away from other people. And I'm not just talking about distance, and I'm not just talking about proximity or, 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 or physical. I'm talking about relationally distant from other people. We have been designed, we have been created by God to live in relationship with one another, period. And then sin came into the world, and that's really the, the effect of sin. Sin comes into the world, and what it did is it separated us from one another. It's sin that keeps us from trying to, that keeps us wearing masks, trying to live distant from other people. It is sin. So there's two things we could take away from this passage in Genesis 2.18. Number one is that there's a God-shaped hole in every human heart that no one else can fill except God. There's a God-shaped hole. By the way, it says there's a God-shaped hole in every in Evert human. That's tech team, man. They're just, they don't, can't spell for nothing. Just kidding. It's not them. <laughs> it's my fault. That's my spelling, but that's not how I talk, though. But anyways... There's a God-shaped hole in every human heart that no one else can fill except God. We try, though, right? We try with money, with relationships. We try to fill this hole in our heart with, with fame. We try to fill this hole in our heart with maybe drugs or alcohol. I mean, we try in so many ways to fill this hole in heart, but really only God can fill. And that's really what we talked about last week is that there is this thing, this desire inside of us that cannot be satisfied. The only way it can be satisfied is if that desire is filled by God, by God alone. But the second thing we see in this passage is that there's a human-shaped hole in every human heart, and God has chosen not to fill it. That by design, God has made us needing to be in relationship with one another, period. You and I have been designed that way. So let me ask you, who are you doing life with? Who knows you well enough that they know exactly the mask that you want to wear, they know exactly the things that you're struggling with? But more importantly... Who are you doing life with in such a way that you are growing spiritually by being in a relationship with another person? Whether it's a person or a group, what group are you with that's basically generating something inside of you? Who are you doing life with? There's a series of verses in the New Testament. They're called the one another's. In fact, there's 59 New Testament verses that speak about one another or each other. 59 of them. And they basically talk about how we're supposed to do life with one, with one another, and so that would actually be a great Bible study if you decided you wanted a, a unique Bible study, is to go through the New Testament. It'd probably take you about a week to read through the New Testament, not going too fast. You could read through the New Testament and basically underline and study each passage that talks about each other or one another. I guarantee you'll learn a whole lot about how we're supposed to relate to one another. Today, I want to highlight four. The first one is this, that in community, first of all, you find healing. In community, you find healing. When you're doing life with others, you find healing. James 5.16, it's one of my favorite passages, says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other, to which most of us are like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything to anybody else, right? 
because they might, I might run into them at Walmart and I don't want them to know what's going on inside of me. Forget it, you know, I'm not doing that. I confess my sins to God. I don't need to say it to anybody else. And yet that's not what James is saying. James said we need to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other. How do, how do you treat, let me ask you a question. This is probably not directly related, but how do you treat the knowledge of somebody else's sin or somebody else's failure? How do you treat that knowledge? When you find out about where that, where that person is, what do you do? Do you judge them? Do you talk about them to other people? Do you shun them? You say, my kids can't play with them, their kids. James says we should pray for them. We should pray for them. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, all of us need healing. All of us need wholeness. Every one of us, right? And that's what James is saying. James said, that can be achieved. You can find healing and wholeness when you confess your sins one to another and you pray for each other. So here's the question. Who's praying for you? Who's praying for you? Who's, who's got, who, who wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, touch Rich and his, you know, his problems. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what problems are. But anyways, you know, who, who's doing that? Who's praying for you because they know exactly what you're going through? They know the mask that you're wearing. They know everything that's happening in your life. For most of us, the answer to that question is nobody because we kind of keep it to ourselves. Listen, there are some of you here that are broken and hurting and you need healing. And James would recommend that you confess your sins one to another. You live in community. Secondly, in community you find encouragement. Hebrews 10.24 says, and let us consider how we may spur. The idea here is to prod, to, to, to press, to provoke. Sometimes it, 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 it speaks of pain. Sometimes it's painful to come alongside somebody and say, hey, man, you really shouldn't have said that. You really shouldn't have done that. You really shouldn't have gone there. That's the spurring that he's talking about here. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, we should be helping one another become better people, right? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So how can you spur me on if you don't really know who I am? If you don't know the mask that I wear, if you don't know the things that I'm doing, how, how can you actually spur me on? We have to get into, the, into a relationship with one another, right? Notice here that the writer of Hebrews says, don't, don't give up meeting together. But there's something, there's something about being with each other that, that brings us out, that brings out encouragement, right? Whether it's a, a Bible study or whether it's a, you know, a, a life group that you're a part of, or maybe even when you come to church on a Sunday morning and you, and you sit here and you're here with friends, people that you know, people that you're in relationship with, and, you, and you're listening to the preaching and you're both going through it at the same time. It's, there's something encouraging about that, that you're doing life with them. I think the problem is it's a priority thing. Oftentimes, you know, we're just too busy. We do forsake coming together. Not I'm talking about church services. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming together in relationships with each other. It might be kids' sports. It might be the lake house. It might be, you know, uh, the game. But, But here, the writer of the Hebrews, he's challenging us. He's challenging us to do life together, to be with each other, right? 
I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a place where a close friend of mine who knows my story, knows everything that I'm going through, knows what, I'm, knows what my weaknesses are, knows my strengths, has just out of the blue called me and said, hey, Rich, I was thinking about you today, and I just want you to know I've been praying for you, been thinking about you, and I needed to hear that just at that moment. So there's encouragement found in community. Also in community, you find restoration and support. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If someone is caught in a sin, often when we're caught in a sin, what, is that ha- what happens to us? We, our most natural reaction is shame. Our most natural reaction is to run. Our most natural reaction is to hide in isolation. We don't want to be in that place. And so it's easier to just pretend. It's easier not to be in that kind of relationship. We feel alone in our sin. Paul says, look, there's, there is an alternative. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to pretend. There's an alternative where a community of people can come alongside you and in a loving and in a kind way support you and encourage you and restore you back to the faith. That can happen. In Galatians 6, verse 2, it says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The burdens that Paul's talking about here is our sin burdens, our temptation burdens, our addiction burdens. So who's helping you carry your burdens? I mean, that's a, like, that's a real question for you to think and say, yeah, this person's helping me carry my burdens. Yeah, Dave Olson's helping me carry my burdens. This person, Chris Carey's helping me carry my burdens. Who is helping you carry your burdens? Seriously. And you know, honestly, guys and ladies, your spouse really doesn't count. I mean, they can. It's not like, it's not like, obviously they know everything, but who is helping you carry your burdens? You should never be carrying your burdens alone. You shouldn't carry your, you know, sin burden, your addiction burden, your challenges. You can't carry that alone. In fact, if you're trying to carry it alone, the reality is you're probably not doing it well. So who's helping you carry your burdens? And then lastly, <clears throat> living in community brings about forgiveness and acceptance. Forgiveness and acceptance. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another. In fact, this is one of my life verses. I think the Lord has really, he's brought this one, he's made it a part of my whole DNA. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, you know, it's hard to accept other people, isn't it? To forgive other people, especially if you've been injured badly, it's hard to forgive that person. It's hard to accept another person if you don't know them, right? I mean, who knows? You know, they, they're a sinner. Paul basically suggests that before we write somebody off, before we say they are a sinner or they're, or they're Republican or they're Democrat or they're, you know, they're black or white, before you do any of that, before you write them off and say, they don't really belong in my life, I don't want to be in a relationship with that person, before you do any of that, Paul says, step back and look inside. And remember how you have been accepted. And so 37 years ago, I was this lost, lonely, fatherless Panamanian kid. I felt hopeless in life, honestly. Raised by my mom, five brothers, very poor. 
I felt like I was always trying, for li- trying to find significance in life, and so I fa- tried to find it in drugs. I tried to find it in a lot of other things. I lied my way through things just so I could feel better about myself. I tried to do stuff on the external to try to present something that I really wasn't, but I was just trying to find hope and life in this world. I was wearing a mask. But then I came into contact with our Heavenly Father, and I remember that day. And be honest with you, my first reaction to, to hearing the good news of the gospel was shame. Because I was reminded of I was reminded of everything that I was doing wrong. I was reminded of my my sinfulness. I was reminded of the, the way that I was pretending. I was reminded of my lies. I was reminded of the dysfunction. <clears throat> Fortunately, I didn't run away. I kept going to church, trying to manage, manage my, my life, trying to put on my best on Sunday mornings. But the more I went there, the more I realized that, man, God does really do accept me. He does accept me. He does really love me. And so on a Wednesday night in March of 1982, I went up to an altar and I put my arms around my pastor and I said, I I can't live this life anymore. I can't live this life of pretense. I can't live this life of hiding. I'm tired of wanting to be this person, but really only being this person. And I need to bring that back together. And on that morning, on that evening, I just surrendered my life to Christ. He accepted me. I promise you, if you will go back to that moment in your memory, if you'll go back to that moment in which you were accepted by Christ, it will not be hard for you to accept one another, to love one another. So how about it? What if today, what if today you made the decision to no longer live in that image management kind of thing to no longer wear a mask to start living in community with one another what if you did that what what if that was your choice what is that that you chose that today God I don't want to live this dual life anymore it could be the beginning of something brand new and that's really the challenge for us this morning amen I'm going to ask us all to stand um Marco is it, it will be out in the lobby and there's going to be others out there with him, life groups. There's a couple challenges we're making here this morning. And number one, the challenge is this, is that if you haven't joined a life group, the very thing we're talking about today is doing life with other people, to not just be sitting in rows, but to be sitting in circles as well. And so we want to challenge you to join a life group if you haven't joined a life group. If, uh, if there's something out there, you look at life groups and there's nothing that really appeals to you, you're thinking about, but you really need this kind of, I would just challenge you to start one, right? Talk to Marco. You guys can kind of come up with an idea of what, what you'll do and the group of people that you'll bring together and then start a life group. That would be a fantastic, fantastic way to go as well. But so we're challenging you, number one, to be part of life groups. So here's the second challenge, though, is... There's a disconnection between who you want to be and who you really are. 
And if you want to deal with that, if you want to settle that today, you're just tired of living that life of, of image management. <clears throat> I want to challenge you this morning to make a commitment to Christ. For some of you, it's going to be very first time commitment to Jesus. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. For those of you, it's going to be a commitment. You've made a commitment before, but now you're going to renew that commitment. You're going to basically revisit that place where you once were and say, hey, I've kind of gone off track here. I'm living a life of just managing my, you know, I'm pretending to be one thing that I'm really not. And I just want to be, I want to be real. I want to be authentic. And maybe that's the decision you need to make here today. All of us are on that journey. Every one of us in, in this room has a gap. Some of it's small, some of it's large. But God's calling all of us to start living authentic lives. And one of the best ways you can do that is to do it in community. Amen.